0: Good to have you joining with us this morning in our Celebration campuses. Hope it's been meaningful for you so far. We are taking a look at the Apostles' Creed, what we just recited together, uh, part of our worship experience, and going over uh, the various points that are said there and uh, why we believe what we believe. Now, at Celebration Church, we've always stressed there's a difference between what we believe and what we think. There's lots of things that we think about in Christianity, you know, where people can debate on... The gifts of the Holy Spirit, or how to be baptized, or this, that, and the other, and lots of people of uh, goodwill and, uh, you know, just different perspectives come with, with different conclusions, and that's totally fine for us. We don't get into those big fights. We don't take hard stands on every single uh, version of doctrine in the Christian faith. Uh, what we do is take a very strong stand on the basic fundamentals, which we re- recite in the Apostles' Creed. Uh, the rest, we allow for, you know, if you think one should be one or the other, there's no problem with that. In fact, we think that's really a much more powerful thing and more credit to uh, the church, is the one a church shouldn't just be about a group of people who all think exactly the same about everything. There's no credit to that. Well, the great credit is when you get a bunch of people together who don't agree about everything, who don't all look the same, don't all sound the same, don't all vote the same, and, but yet we get together and we truly love each other and respect each other and worship God together. This, we believe, brings glory to God. But anyway, anyone who asks us, what do we believe at Celebration Church? We pretty much wrap it up with this creed. Most of it is laid out right here. Uh, Our text for this study is in 2 Peter, the first chapter, where Peter writes, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. So Peter, writing to the Christian church, said, look, I know you know this stuff already, but we're going to go over it again. And it's important oftentimes to go back and revisit the fundamental truths of the Christian faith, certainly in a church like ours that is continuing to grow. You got people at varying degrees in different places in their faith. Some some of you have uh, been very devout Christians for many, many, many years. You know this like the back of your hand. Some of you could preach it better than me. <laughs> and then, then you got others who this is all relatively new. And some of you, it's very, very new. And you're just, wow, all you know is that you know God, but you don't really know much about it. Which is really one of the wonderful, fabulous things about the Christian faith that makes us different than every other version of faith. You see, every other religion in the world, it is imperative that you must learn everything about the faith or as much as you can about it, the disciplines, the prayers, the rituals. You've got to go through all these things and practice them for some time, all in a hope that you might be able to touch God. That is why they do what they do. Christianity is, true Christianity, is exactly the opposite. True Christianity is you encounter God in your life. You really get to experience God. When we talk about, knowing Jesus. It's not just about knowing him in your head. You actually experientially experience Christ in your life. It's quite energizing, quite life-changing. That's where you get phrases like, you know, once I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. You know, all these phrases that we use in Christianity, true Christianity, and there's a difference between ritualistic Christianity and true Christianity. And uh, true Christianity, is about really knowing God in your life and experiencing Him. It's not about just going through rituals and hope that you get all the right stamps in your passport (laughs) so you can get into heaven. That's not how this works. Anyway, you start out by knowing God and experiencing God, and you don't know jack squat. It's the opposite, see? In other words, you got to know all this stuff first. Then, as a result of knowing God, now we teach you, and we explain things to you, and show, oh, 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 and you grow even more in your faith. So it's not like you have to know this stuff before you can experience Christ in your life. You can experience Christ in your life today. We all experience him immediately when we come to him in faith, and maybe don't know a whole lot about anything. Uh, When I first became a Christian, I didn't know jack about the Bible. I'd never read the Bible, but yet I truly had encountered Christ. That's what changed my life. That's what made me turn from the direction I was going into a new direction. As many of you here and at any of our campuses will tell you, most of the people sitting around you, that's exactly what they've experienced. That's why we're here today, is because we want to learn more, but not in an attempt to know God. It's because we already know God. Kind of a different thing. Anyway, so here we go. And now we began, we did the first phrase already, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We talked about that. Uh, we believe that God created us and this planet on which we live. We do not think That there was a gigantic cosmic burp somewhere just, you know, randomly, and it eventually turned into the earth, and then we all crawled out of the primordial slime and climbed up into a tree swinging like a monkey and fell out in a business suit. We don't think that it just all happened that way, all right? We believe we are here intentionally and on purpose. Now, exactly how it all happened, we'll cut you some slack on it, but we believe God did it. That's the point. That is what we believe. Okay. Now, in this this respect, we are not really that much different than virtually any other faith in the world. All faiths believe in God, who is the author of life. And there, we all agree. Much past that, we (laughs) take quite different turns. Because our next statement is, we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. This is, of course, what makes us different. From any other faith. Our hope, our trust, our experience is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, when we say the Son of God, I, I believe the Bible uses that phraseology just because it's the closest thing we can even comprehend what was going on. But it's not like one of our sons. You know, I have a son. He didn't exist till I came along. Boom, you know. Uh, that wasn't the situation with Jesus. Jesus, the Bible tells us, has always existed with God from the beginning, he left heaven came through the woman, lived on earth as a man, and laid down his life as a sacrifice. Kind of hard to get your head around it, but that's where we get the phrase, the son of God, because he was born uh, this. And, and what's interesting, because he was God, it wasn't a shock to be God, to him it was a shock to be man, right? That's why Jesus always referred to him as himself as the son of man. He always said that. The Son of Man came. The Son of man. I'm the Son of Man. I'm sitting there thinking, well, we're all Son of Man. Said, yeah, but this is different for me, okay? Because he's God. I'm like, wow, holy cow, here I am, you know? So it's, uh, this is the Jesus that we believe in, um, the Christ, the Son of God. Now, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, we get the idea from the Messiah from the very beginning of creation. The Bible tells us in the account of the first humans, Adam and Eve, Uh, that they turned their back on God and rebelled against God. It was an act of defiance that brought pain, destruction, and death onto the earth. Now, oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, if there really is a God, how come there's so much pain and suffering in the earth? The fact that there's pain and suffering in the earth is not a sign that there's an absence of God. It's a sign that we told God to leave, okay? We turned our back on God. And this was a big deal. This was a major thing You know we always talk about You know eating the fruit This wasn't about fruit This was about Turning their back on God And insisting I don't listen to God Eve got caught up In the listening to the lies Of the enemy Saying you know Well God didn't really mean that And this God He's just holding out on you What do you think about this And what do you think about that what do you think By the way We caution you Don't get caught up In what you think I don't care what you think I don't care what I think None of us should care what we think. People, you know, well, the Bible says this. People, well, I know, but I think. Who cares what you think? Anybody who says that doesn't get this. And there's a lot of people like that today. There are a lot of posers that go to churches today. And there's a few that slip in our door as well who come in and they're just, you know, they like Christianity and they like the songs and they like the environment. They like hearing about love and peace and stuff, but they don't really want to believe the Bible, okay? Okay. And they take differing views. Well, I know the Bible says, but I think, oh, I think this, oh, I think. Who cares what you think? When you walk around like that, you think way too highly of your own thoughts. All right? We believe in Jesus as the uh, Messiah that God promised when mankind of first turned his back on God. God gave the promise that, that a, the woman, the, the son of the a child of the woman, would bring us salvation. Now, they didn't really understand all that means, but that was just the initial promise that was given. Then mankind quickly deteriorated. I mean, it was a mess. This initial rebellion against God, I, again, I don't think we truly grasped how intense this was. It was a major deal. It was poisonous. It was hateful. Uh, Adam and Eve's first two kids. One kills the other. I mean, and then it just went nuts from there. The Bible says the earth was so full of violence and suffering and hatred and sin against God, it was torturous. People lived in misery. People would torture other people just for the pure, pure joy of it. It became so bad, God couldn't take it anymore. And lest the whole thing would be totally unredeemable, he pulled one family, a guy by the name of Noah and his family, And said, listen, we got to wipe this thing out. It's out of control. It was so bad. We can't even begin. If you were to picture, you know, every once in a while you hear about, you know, how Saddam Hussein and his sons tortured people and laughed and all that kind of stuff, you know, that and worse was the norm of everyone's experience on earth. It was horrible, terrible, violent, the Bible says, immoral. It was like off the charts and was quite frankly out of control. And God uh, took Noah and flooded out the earth to wipe the whole thing out just as a gigantic reset. That's how poisonous and nasty that rebellion against God initially was. And then from Noah, then we kind of started over again and we get to where we're at today. By the way, they're coming out with a new movie about Noah with Russell Crowe, the gladiator, you know, is, uh, And it looks interesting to me. I'll go see it. It looks like fun. Uh, What I'm reading is they kind of screw the story up. What a shock. You know, (laughs) Hollywood, you know, you can't just follow the script. You know, they got to put all this other nonsense. in. According from what I've read, according to this version, the reason God destroyed the earth is because it was overpopulated and they weren't taking care of the environment. i talking about a bunch of new age nonsense. I promise you, God did not flood the earth because people were mixing their aluminum cans with newspapers. <laughs> Fully ignorant, you know. They can't contemplate that it was because of man's sin because no one believes in sin in Hollywood. You know, everything's okay, but it's because of overpopulation and not taking care of the planet and God destroyed the earth and whatever. The effects look cool. I'm going, it looks cool to me. So, but anyway, so then he has to start over again. I mean, it was that bad. Again, I don't think we get a clue about how nasty it was. This initial rebellion against God was extremely poisonous. From our viewpoint, it's hard to relate to, but it got so bad. So he wipes the whole thing out, starts over again with Noah, still a descendant of Adam, so we're still part of this deal. And God starts to reveal more and more of who he is at this point they've fallen so away, far away from God they're starting over again. And he starts to reveal himself to them and he picks Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the Jewish people and uh, people unto himself. That's where we're getting Moses and stuff like that. And we start to learn more and more about this Messiah, the promise of this one that would come and redeem us to fix this problem. See, we have a problem between us and God. It's called sin. Sin is what separates us from God. Now, if you're not a Christian, I know some of you really struggle with it. Why does it make any sense? Why would God be separate? Because you don't understand. God is extremely pure. We are so impure. It's like it totally grosses God out. It's like we just reek to God. You know, we've got a serious reek problem. Now, we don't notice it because we're used to our own reekiness. It's like someone who hasn't taken a bath in four years. You know, they get pretty comfortable with their aroma. I don't see anything wrong with this, you know? know, So we don't notice it, but I promise that God's like, oh man, it's like it separates us from God and we can't connect with God. And that's why he sends this Messiah to set it straight. The Bible says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Jesus Christ would become the Lamb of God who would lay down his life for the sins of mankind. And through his blood, he said, it doesn't make any sense. Who could understand any of this? I'm just telling you, that's why he died, to set things right. So we don't reek anymore. Eureka, we've been reek free. <laughs> Hallelujah. And now we, we communicate with God. So we start learning more and more about this Messiah. You know, Moses referred to him as a prophet that would come, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, David talks about him. It wasn't until we get to Isaiah where it to really get a clear picture. And he says, A virgin will conceive and bring forth a child, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. And that's when we get a virgin. Oh man, we're talking God in the flesh now is coming to live amongst us. So all this is set up, and they're waiting. They're waiting, they're waiting for the hope of this Messiah. Now, this hope of a Messiah is very deeply ingrained into the DNA of the human experience all you got to do is look at any movies and books and stories and stuff throughout human experience they're all they're just full of the picture of the hero the one guy who would come and I guess all odds make things right you know my wife and I always laugh about these heroes you know they the guy only has one pistol Everybody else has tons of machine guns. None of them can hit, but he can get them all. Dush, 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 like, seriously. <laughs> if I'm fine give me the machine guns. <laughs> I want a bazooka. You know, they can never hit him, but there's always that hero. Boom, boom, who would take everybody out. This incredible, amazing savior that comes in and rescues. Our literature is full of the story of the hero. Who comes to redeem. And many of the stories even include the idea of one that was foretold of. One that was prophesied to. You know, it's everything from Star Wars to the Matrix, all these things, all have the prophecy. You know, they ask Neil, maybe you're the one. You know, everybody like, this is the one that the prophets spoke of. What is that? That is something that is hardwired into our existence and our human experience. That from the beginning, we were promised there would be one that would come and set this thing straight. And the good news is we know who that one is now. His name is Jesus. And he's the one who came to set things right between us and God. Okay? As Christians, we believe that Jesus was the Messiah. The life he lived was like no other life in the history of mankind. What Jesus did, said... And experience in just three years. This is stunning. Changed the course of human nature, of, of of humankind. And there's no one that even claims to have done what he did. There's not Mohammed. doesn't claim nobody. Nobody claims to do what Jesus did. If you seriously, if you're if you're not a Christian, you really owe it to yourself. You know, pick up a Bible, look at one of the Gospels, and read what Jesus did. Well. You can take a shortcut. There's a movie coming out now. The son of man, right? I'll see if they screw that up. But I think they did it. from what I'm reading, they've, they've got that one pretty accurate. And you start hearing what he said, not just what he said, what he claimed and what he did. The stuff wasn't done in a closet. It wasn't like, you know, like three people in the backyard, you know, saw him do stuff. There were thousands of people who saw this. And many of them, they were the ones who healed. Many people who experienced these miracles firsthand and went from one person to another. This is, I mean, the evidence to this is stunning to what he did. Now, lots of people try and explain away how he did it. So some people, again, remember what I said uh, on the first thing. Unbelievers don't have a problem with miracles and stuff. They got a problem with God. They don't have a problem with supernatural things. If an alien does it, that makes perfect sense to them. Okay. They don't have a problem with that. You know, it's just God they can't stand. So we got people, you know, well, the reason we believe Jesus did so many miracles is because we know that when Herod was trying to kill the Christ child, they ran and they hid in Egypt. That's what the Bible says. Well, people theorize that. That in Egypt, he learned from the magicians in Egypt. You know, and it was because of the magic that he learned there that he was able to perform them. See, they don't even dispute the miracles. They just it can't be God. They can't stand God. It's gotta be humbo jumbo, it's gotta be an alien, it's gotta be nanites, it's gotta be something, somewhere. Everybody can buy into the mirror, but it just can't be God. Now I'm the tell the problems with God. But no, I tell you, he did this because he was God in the flesh. And what he did is stunning. No one has done what he has done. Okay? Uh, there are people who will concede that, well, you know, Jesus was uh, a remarkable man. No, he's way more than a remarkable man. Others, well, he was a historical figure that had a dramatic impact on world history. The reason he had a dramatic impact on world history is because of who he was and who he is. And because people's lives were changed. Three years, we're not talking a guy who chanted and meditated and spent 40, 50 years coming up with some new religion in three years, changed the course of mankind's history. And millions of people's lives, hundreds of millions of lives throughout the last 2,000 years have been dramatically changed because we experienced God first, not because we're trying to find God through the Christian, you know, philosophy. This isn't about philosophy. It's about experiencing God in your life. That's what sets us all apart dramatically. That's what most of the people sitting around you have already experienced. That's why we're here today. Celebrating this incredible experience. Okay? Those of us who have heard the message and been changed by his power, Jesus is not just a remarkable man. In him we find the power of God because we believe that he was, in fact, God in the flesh living amongst us. Uh, It goes on in the Creed, the next phrase talking about Jesus says, "Who, Who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So we're not talking just a good man. We're talking God in the flesh. Something, a a, a human that unlike anyone else that has ever existed. Now, when we say as part of our creed that we believe in Jesus, it means that we cling to him, we trust in him, and we rely on him for everything. To us, the words of Jesus are the words of God. We don't view Jesus' teaching as some advanced philosophy of the last 2,000 years or some out-of-date philosophy that needs to be updated in today's modern view. We don't consider his instructions as mere suggestions to a better life. And we don't take his directions as some kind of smorgasbord that we pick and choose from. Embracing the ones we like, rejecting the ones that we don't. I mentioned already, people who say, well, you know, I like this about Christianity, but I don't really care about that. You know? I don't know if I agree. And they do this as if this shows them as being intellectually superior. When in fact, it shows them being a nitwit. You know, Well, I, I, I believe some things, but not everything. Because oh, I, think, oh, I think, I think, again, the self-awareness that people have, people really think way highly of themselves than they ought I don't put my trust into what you think or what I think. I don't care what I think. I go to the teachings of Jesus to find out what is right and wrong. Example, Jesus said that committing adultery is wrong. There are people who say, well, yeah, yeah, but I I think it's okay because we love each other. We fell in love. (laughs) And uh, I think it's okay. Again, who cares what you think? You don't get to make this up. True Christianity, when we get up and we say we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, what we're saying is we identify totally and completely with him and what he taught, and we don't care 10 cents about what we think or anybody else thinks. We care about what he thinks. That is our uh, foundation, all right? Then the next phrase in the creed, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Was crucified, died, and was buried. Why is Pontius Pilate mentioned? Pontius Pilate, really, for all practical purposes, is an insignificant uh, uh, person in history. Why would the creed, talking about the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all the things of Christian mentioned, and Pontius Pilate, okay? I mean, it doesn't even mention Mary by name or anybody else, but Pontius Pilate, we mentioned by name. The reason for that is to make a statement of historical fact that the early Christians thought we need to put in here, that this stuff actually happened. Pontius Pilate was the Roman magistrate that ordered the crucifixion of Jesus. It is a fact beyond dispute that Jesus lived, was arrested, and ordered by the magistrate of Rome to be crucified. It is an absolute, solid, historical fact. Now, you can debate whether or not he was the son of God, believe it, or choose to reject it. It It's up to you. But the fact that Jesus lived amongst us and was arrested and crucified—all of it's a historical fact. that happened during the time of Pontius Pilate. Now, when you read the Gospels, uh, we read that Pontius Pilate was a, uh, you know, an unwilling participant in uh, in the crucifixion. I don't think he was, wasn't because he was a good guy or anything. I just don't think he cared and didn't want to be bothered. <laughs> Quite frankly, that's when he sent him off to Herod. And you, you check him out or somebody else. And, and they said, well, we want you to crucify him. Why? He had not done anything wrong. What do I care about your stupid traditions? So, so finally, he says, okay, all right, kill him. Why do I care? And then he washes his hand up and says, you know, this is all on you cats. And uh, so now there's been, ever since then, a fair amount of debate. At, at times, it just really, you'll see it in our uh, culture today this debate roaring about who killed Jesus. Was it the Jews or was it the Romans? Now, uh, many leaders in the Jewish community get really sensitive about this and for good cause, okay? And I'll explain to you why that is in just a minute, but we haven't heard much about this new uh, movie, The Son of God, and maybe it's because of there wasn't the big... Remember when the Passion of the Christ came out 10 years ago, Mel Gibson's thing? The Jewish community was in a uproar. They were freaking. They really... And of course, you know, we kind of dismiss what's the matter with these people. They feared a a surge of anti-Semitism. You know, there have been people throughout the last 2,000 years who Christians, who claim to be Christians, who would persecute Jews and say they hated Jews and called Jews Christ killers and all this other kind of stuff and Jesus is the one you you killed Jesus you know as if the plan was for Jesus to turn into an old man I mean seriously he was supposed to die you know who killed Jesus do you know why he died because of me and because of you that's why he died it was always in the plan as Christians we don't care who actually was responsible this that we were responsible The Gospels just show you literally what happened. It was orchestrated by the Jewish leaders of the day. Those guys were psychos at that time. Doesn't mean they were all bad. Any more than don't blame me for what the politicians in Washington do. Bunch of psycho babbles over there. Not my fault. All right. And anybody, don't ever get, watch yourself. Anybody who claims to be a Christian and hates Jews is a moron. Actually, he's an idiot wrapped up in a moron. (laughs) And you'll hear these, you know, on TV, everyone's on some skinhead or something hanging on to his Bible. and saying, you know, I believe we need to just hang on to our Christian roots in America. And we got to hate them stupid Jews. We hate them Jews because we're Christians. What an idiot. The Bible he wrote, every single word of it was written by a Jew. (laughs) How dumb can you be? Jesus was a Jew. His mom was a Jew. All of his disciples were Jews. (laughs) It's like ignorance gone to seed. It's like, how can you be so dumb and still breathe? I mean, it it really, it's an incomprehensibly stupid thing. (laughs) It's like, you know, Hanging on to a book of some, you know, black leader and you know, Martin Luther King. And I love this book and I hate black people. What? It's craziness. It doesn't make any sense. All right? So, you know, we don't get into this who killed Jesus. You know, as if by killing Jesus, they ruined God's plan. That's the way they talk. The plan was for him always to die. That was the, and he said it and he told his disciples... I am going to die. We're going to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to crucify me. And they're going to kill me. Anytime we get, we're going to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me and crucify me. We're going to Jerusalem and arrest me and crucify Then they finally get to Jerusalem, they arrest them, and the disciples all freaked. <laughs> they all ran, ah, running for the door. Hello, you who McFly, were you paying attention? I don't know what these Nimrods were thinking. He told them over and over again. And they were shocked when it happened. I don't know, people. I'm surprised God doesn't just kill us all. The idea that someone could be blamed for the crucifixion of Jesus is patently absurd. Even from Jesus' own perspective, he's hanging on the cross after being brutalized. And he looks to the people responsible and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This isn't on them. This is just a fulfillment of what had to happen. The idea that Jews are responsible for killing Jesus or the Romans that were consecrated, it's just just a failure to understand what all of this is truly about. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, died on the cross for the sins of the world, that you and I could be reconciled to God. That's what it's all about. All right, now, next week, we'll pick up, there's more about Jesus in the creed. We're not done there, and we'll save that for next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for these truths that we hold dear. I pray as we go over this that you would open our hearts and minds, help us to build in our faith, grow in our faith, and for those who have never truly surrendered their hearts and lives to you, that you would begin to open their eyes and turn the lights on inside of their hearts, that they might let go and let God into their life. And so they might, too, experience this glorious, wonderful salvation, even though they may not understand any of this stuff. We don't have to understand it first. We can experience you first, and then we get to understand. We thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.